0: So I think I've said this before, but it was probably uh, nine months or more ago that my least favorite part about masks is not that it fogs up my glasses, uh, nor that I can't see people's faces, nor that it makes it hard to hear, but it's that it messes up my beard. (laughs) All right, more serious matters. Uh, Please turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 11. Verses 1 through 9. We're going to be looking again uh, at the Tower of Babel story and really how that story kind of echoes throughout Scripture on into the New Testament. But before I read that passage, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your love for us and your Son. Uh, We thank you for the grace that you show us day by day for your mercies that are new every morning. And we pray, Father, that you would pour out your grace on us now, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Again, give us uh, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive what you have to say to us in your word. Uh, Father, uh, speak clearly through your word uh, and through me and help us to receive what is good and true and right and uh, to be shaped and molded by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. There are certain rhythms to life. We sleep, we wake, we work, we rest, uh, we dirty dishes, we wash them, we wear clothes, we wash them. Uh, People are born, grow up, have children who grow up and have children of their own. Uh, These rhythms are innate and good and a blessed part of life in God's world. One such rhythm is the gathering and the scattering of God's church. We gather on Sundays uh, around God's throne. We scatter Monday through Saturday into every corner of the globe, gather and scatter. It's like breathing in and out, gather and scatter, worship and work, rest and labor. It's the heartbeat, the, the pulse, the meter, the cadence of life in God's world. You see, what structures our lives is not summer vacation and the school year, not winter break and the spring semester, uh, though that's similar, but the gathering and scattering of the church. And I bring this up this morning because these themes are in the forefront of the story of Babel. Now, we looked at the story once last week, and I'm not going to go over everything that we said last week. If you want to know more about this story, you can go listen to that sermon, but let me remind you of the basic plot. A group of Noah's descendants, post-flood, decide, in light, it would seem, of the increasing population and increasing violence that came with that, uh, to build a city. Cities were for protection. And in that city, they will build a tower, a tower that would reach into the heavens. A tower uh, both gave them a a clear path, a staircase, actually, to transcend uh, the mundane. And because of its massive size, it gave them a claim to fame the tallest man-made structure in the world, Guinness Book of Records style fame. They would use their strength, their technology to seek their own safety and their own status together with an attempt at transcendence, to return to the, the mountaintop Garden of Eden experience, as it were. And since they are pursuing their safety above God's commands and their name above God's glory, God put an end to their united rebellion, confusing their languages and humanity spread over all the earth. Uh, Their confusion brought disunity, but also the continuation of the creation mandate to fill the earth with God's image in humankind. They attempted to gather in rebellion, but God scatters them to fulfill His purposes for creation. Well, what are we to think about gathering and scattering in light of this story? What I want to do is uh, look at those two themes and trace them from Babel forward so we can see then how they apply to the church today. Uh, First, the theme of gathering. Uh, Think of times when we gather. Uh, We gather with friends and family for birthday parties. We gather with brothers and sisters for worship. We gather with fellow students for learning in the classroom. We gather with our spouse for dinner and a movie. We gather for protests and riots. Loved ones might huddle together in a storm or some worse crisis. What do all of those situations have in common? They all say in some way, in this moment, in this time, in this place, we belong together. We share a a same love, a same interest, a same fate, a same God. Gathering implies some kind of unity, whether familial or religious or academic or even catastrophic Whatever it is, we we share in something together. We gather around something. And while it's weird to consider, even when we gather to disagree, even when we gather to debate, it's what we have in common that brings us together, a shared humanity, a willingness to recognize others as sharing enough rationality that we can reason with one another. Apart from even that minimal unity, of course, we stop debate. (laughs) We stop discussion altogether. And so this gathering at Babel was because of a shared fear. First, we, we need to protect ourselves, they said, so they build a city. And then a shared pride. We need to promote ourselves, and so they build a tower. Their gathering was wrong, not because they sought unity, but because they sought it in the wrong things. And sin inevitably leads to disunity and division. God dividing their languages really only sped up the process. Because if everyone is seeking their own safety and their own name, conflict will come. Disunity will come. Division will come. The division that God brought was was linguistic and and therefore cultural, right? Different people with different languages end up living in different places and developing different cultures. And so the division uh, that, that begins at Babel would only grow more pronounced as time went on, which means unity, true unity from now on is something God must produce, Unity must come by the supernatural work of God. Now, some have concluded from this story that that cities themselves are bad. Uh, They tried to build a city, God stopped them, the end. Uh, But it's not that cities are bad, but their disobedience in building this city and their motives for city building were bad. God wanted humanity to fill the earth. And of course, that's exactly what ended up happening. And the Bible, though, goes on to celebrate Jerusalem, a city, with the temple at its heart where God's name dwelt. A city centered on God's name and God's glory is a city to be celebrated. And yet yet we're getting ahead of ourselves, right? So cities are not bad in and of themselves, but Babel was because it was a city united around rebellion. And what Babel brought then was disunity in the end. And yet God's plan from the start was to reunite humanity. Uh, we see this as we move on in Genesis when we look at Abraham. God will say to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? That Babel brought disunity, but God would reunite humanity, all the families of the earth, in blessing around Abraham. God would take the nations divided at Babel and restore them in Abraham. Abraham. Abraham's family, though, uh, remained relatively small uh, throughout the book of Genesis for a number of years, but uh, as we mentioned a few weeks back, by the time they went down into Egypt in the end of the book of Genesis, they were 70 people in all, 70 people to complement the 70 nations listed in Genesis 10. And the idea is God is beginning His work to unite the nations, but this time it would begin with the one man Abraham and the one nation Israel. Now, the first real gathering of Israel was hundreds of years later at Mount Sinai. Uh, God brought His people out of e- Egypt, and what's the first thing He does? He, he gathers them around Himself as He meets with them at Sinai, and they, they were gathered there to hear the Word of God. Now, this event is referred to multiple times in Scripture as the Day of the Assembly. Uh, this is church, right? Mount Sinai is the original church service. It's the, it's the OG church. God eventually gathers Israel in the land around a central city, Jerusalem, in the temple at least three times per year. And so Israel gathers for worship at regular intervals. They they scatter throughout Israel to work, and then they gather in Jerusalem in the temple for worship. Finally, you, you get to the New Testament, and we're told that Jesus came to gather his sheep. Or as John put it in John eleven fifty two, 52, to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. How does that happen? What does that look like? How does Jesus gather his sheep? Well, we see it begin at Pentecost, don't we? The day of Pentecost comes and all the disciples are together in one place and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they each begin to speak in other languages, not unknown, mystical, nonsense languages, but the languages of the nations. The people around were amazed and said in Acts 2, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Well, this is kind of the New Testament equivalent of Genesis chapter 10 and the table of nations, right? In Genesis 10 and 11, the nations are divided, each according to its own language. But in Acts chapter 2, the nations are brought back together because God enables His people to speak other languages, right? The curse of Babel is being undone. The curse is being reversed, The linguistic division is overcome if only for a moment to show that true cross-cultural unity has come in the gospel. Here and now, God is putting the nations back together. Now, from that point on in the book of Acts, uh, the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth so that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation can hear and are called to respond to the message of the gospel. The result of this is that the people of God begin to gather around a message, the message of Jesus. And this new people is eventually called the church. Now, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it means simply assembly or gathering. Jesus came to build his church, his assembly, his gathering. Jesus came to gather his sheep. That's exactly what he is doing. That's what's happening even this morning as we gather together. We are the sheep of Jesus gathered together. And that's, of course, what will happen fully on the last day when Jesus returns. So this moment right now is, is a preview. It's, it's an anticipation of that day when all who belong to Jesus will be gathered together into one body on the day of His return. As we think about this, this gathering, this idea of gathering throughout Scripture, uh, from Babel to the church to Jesus' return… We we might begin to ask a question. Well, why? Right? Clearly, we are not to gather for the reasons that the people gathered in Babel. So, why do we gather? Why ought we to gather together? And first, we gather uh, not to celebrate our work, but to celebrate God's work. Right? For the Babel builders, everything depended upon their work, their technology, their effort, and ability to build this great city and this great tower. But it's not our work that brings us together this morning, but God's. We don't gather to pat ourselves on the back, but to rejoice in what God has done. God sent his son to become a man, to obey where we failed, to bear sin's curse and suffer sin's penalty by dying in our place. And then Jesus rose from the dead because it was not possible for death to hold him as the righteous one death had no claim on him. Rising from the dead, he conquered death. He now offers forgiveness, the gift of the Spirit, and the hope of resurrection life to all who will look to him in faith. This is what we celebrate, God's work in Christ. And so we gather around a message, and it's, it's not the message, look at what we have done, but look at what our God has done. That's why and and even how the gospel unifies us, by the way, because who we are as the church and what we do as the church is not about any one of us. It it doesn't have to do with any of our differences, but it has to do with what God has done in Christ. That's what brings us together. That's what unites us, Christ and His work. And so first, we, we gather not to celebrate our work, but to celebrate God's work. Second... And therefore, we gather not for our name and glory, but for God's name and glory. This follows from the last point, doesn't it? We gather around a message. It's not the message, look what we have done, but look at what our God has done. And so it's not the message, uh, look at how great we are, but look at how great our God is. We gather to have our eyes opened to the awesomeness of God. Every day we are amazed at something in life. Uh, We might be amazed at the kindness of a neighbor, we might be amazed at the graphics of a new video game, or the plot twist in a great movie, or the taste of a good beer. But every day, something amazes us. Some glory captures our heart. Well, we gather together this morning so that our hearts would be captured afresh by the glory of God, His greatness, His kindness, His mercy, His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, His power, His sovereignty, His wisdom. And as we see His glory, His name is made great. And so first we gather not to celebrate our work, but to celebrate God's work. Second, we gather therefore not for our name and glory, but for God's name and glory. And third, we gather then not to be affirmed and celebrated ourselves, but to be fed and formed. As we celebrate God's work for God's glory, we are changed. Our hearts are reoriented. As we see His glory and are overawed by it, we will be compelled to live differently because of it and to want to serve this great God and to tell others about Him. If you come into this room and you think, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. I wish they did this differently and this song's too slow or this sermon's too long, that's okay, right? Right? Church is not here to cater to our individual preferences. Church is here to feed us and form us, not to affirm us and celebrate us. Now, don't misunderstand. I mean, I want to affirm you as God's child and celebrate God's work in and for and through you. But notice that those things are centered on God, not on us as individuals. In a sense, when we gather as Christians, we we check our individual identities and preferences at the door We we gather not as butchers and bakers and candlestick makers, right, but as Christians covered in the blood of Jesus. We gather not as Democrats or Republicans, but as Christians covered in the blood of Jesus. We gather not as Jew or Greek, black or white, American or European or Chinese or Iranian, but as Christians covered in the blood of Jesus. We gather around a message, not the message of you or me, but of God and his work in the world. We gather to rehearse God's story in community, through word and sacrament, and in that way, Christ's work is celebrated, God's name is lifted up, and we are transformed from self-promoting, self-serving individuals into self-effacing and self-sacrificing individuals who reflect the image of Christ to the world. Now, You'll notice that this theme in the Tower of Babel that begins as a part of their rebellion, really, gathering... God redeems for his name and our good as we gather to see and be shaped by God's glory. Second, scattering. Whereas when we think of gathering, we we generally, initially at least, think of good things. We gather for birthday parties and Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Of course, we could also think of gathering for protests or riots, uh, which imply conflict and trouble. Scattering is similarly mixed, isn't it? Uh, But I think it is uh, weighted more toward the negative. Scattering is is leaving home. It's separating. It's being alone. It's leaving the familiar and the comfortable. The Babel builders were afraid of being dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be spread out all over the place. They didn't want the vulnerability that comes with that. They wanted the safety of people close by and the comfort of generations living together. But scattering can also be going off on an adventure, right? Heading out on your own, taking up some new endeavor. It's sowing seed and seeing what grows. And when you think of this image of scattering, think of seeds. Uh, The sower scatters seed in order for it to grow, but the, the seed can't stay safely in the seed bag if it is going to do its work. It has to get out there and die, Jesus says, in order to bring life. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit.'" Now, Jesus is there talking about himself, uh, which we will come back to. But in this too, Jesus' work is really the climax of a larger theme, And God's original command is really where it began. God's original command for humanity was to fill the earth and subdue it, right? To scatter, to take His image into all the world, to form and to fashion and shape the earth, to make it productive and beautiful, to tend the garden for both fruit and flowers. Uh, God sent humanity out into the world and said, go take this, this plot of dirt that I have made full of mud and vines and make my garden world beautiful and fruitful, Reflect my creativity and order in bringing order to my creation. The Babelites rebelled against God out of fear, but God confused their language and sent them out once again. And interestingly, this idea of scattering becomes one of the paradigms for judgment throughout Scripture. Uh, Israel is gathered in the promised land, but when they rebel, they are exiled from the land and scattered among the nations. In fact, the Greek translation of Deuteronomy 28, 25 uses the term diaspora to refer to this, which means scattered about. When God judges Israel, he scatters them about the nations. God's judgment on Israel scatters them about. and Now, now God would use this later on when Paul goes out preaching Jesus. The fact that there are Jews in every city means Paul's missionary work has a starting point. Hundreds of years ahead of time, God was planting seeds, scattering his people among the nations. While Jesus comes, he he leaves the safety and comfort of home. He is scattered, as it were, into this world. He comes like a seed. As we already saw, Jesus comes like a grain of wheat to fall into the earth and die, he says, and to die that he might bear fruit. And he goes into the ground for sin and blossoms in the resurrection by the power of the Spirit bringing the fruit of eternal life into being. He offers us to take and eat that fruit. The fruit of His scattering work becomes life for us by faith. Of course, that's not the end of the story either, is it? Uh, In the Great Commission, we hear the the creation mandate to fill the earth particularized for Jesus' disciples. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, "'All authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore.'" and make disciples of all nations. Again, scatter, go into all the earth, fill the earth with God's image by making disciples of the image of God, Jesus. We hear that again in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Scatter, be my witnesses. Now, apparently the early church was actually slow to obey there. They pretty much stayed in Jerusalem after Pentecost. If you read the book of Acts, they don't leave. Until what? Until God sent persecution to the church. And notice what happens in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. God once again uses trouble to scatter his people for his purposes. There are echoes of Babel here all over again. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we read, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. See, when scattering happens, the seed is sown, the Word bears fruit, the church grows, and God's image fills the earth. We, too, must take up our cross and follow Jesus. We must scatter to die, to bear fruit by the power of Jesus' Spirit in us. Now that makes it sound very dramatic, but let me put it differently. To die is to love. When Jesus, like a grain of wheat, falls into the earth and dies, he is sacrificing himself for us, giving of himself for the good of others. And John says in 1 John three sixteen, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We are called to move out in love, to sacrifice, to die, to give of ourselves for the good of others in the power of Jesus' spirit, that we might bear fruit. We gather to rehearse God's story in community through word and sacrament. We scatter to respond in love by giving ourselves away for the glory of God and the good of his world. We gather as a community to receive grace. We scatter as individuals to show grace to a world that needs it as much as we do. This is the heartbeat of the Christian life. Gather and scatter, rehearse and respond, receive God's grace in the gospel, and then give yourself away in love. Now, this, by the way, is one of the the dangers, and this may sound weird, but hear me out for just a second. This is one of the dangers of owning a church building. Uh, You may know that we just bought this church building a few months ago, and it is a gift from God, and we are thankful for it. But we will fail at stewarding this building well if we spend all of our time in this building. We gather, and then we scatter. We come and feed on grace, and then we go and work and serve and love in the strength that grace supplies. This is one of the dangers even of too much, quote, church activity. Uh, We spend all of our time gathered with other Christians and never get out to serve the world and our neighbors in love. Of course, the opposite danger is also a possibility, isn't it? We spend all of our time serving and engaging and being, quote, in the world, and we never rest. We never receive. We never rehearse the grace that sustains us and empowers us. We never gather with God's people. We need to breathe in and out, right? Gather and scatter, rest and work, rehearse and respond. Now, scattering, as we've talked about it, you might be just thinking about missionary work, right? Scatter out to share the gospel with people, you know, to be a a missionary in different parts of the world. And, of course, it does mean that Uh, God might be calling some of you here and now to go into all the world, as it were, to scatter to the furthest parts of the earth, to spread the message of Jesus, to sow the seed, to bear fruit in the power of the Spirit. But God also might call some of you here and now not to go across the ocean, but to go across the street. God has gifted us all differently. We're all called to serve Him by loving our neighbor. The question is, what does that look like in your case? And it will look different for each of us. Uh, The farmer serves God and loves his neighbor by farming well and providing the produce people need to eat. The teacher serves God and neighbor by teaching well, the construction worker by building well. Again, whether we gather, when we gather, we gather not to have our individual and peculiar identities affirmed but to be affirmed as children of God, to remember who we are collectively as the church. But when we scatter, it is in the uniqueness of our giftedness to serve as each has received a gift and in the strength that God supplies. Jesus uh, left heaven like a grain of wheat, scattered on the ground to die and bear fruit. In his resurrection, he has been gathered up to God's throne And at His return, the the harvest will come, this is the biblical imagery, when all God's children will be gathered together on the last day. But for now, we walk in Jesus' footsteps. We go out to love, to serve, to die, to give life in imitation of Jesus and by the power of His Spirit. We gather on Sundays to, to find life again in Jesus in anticipation of His return. We gather and we scatter for the glory of God and the good of His world. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would continue to to breathe your life into us as we gather, as we gather to receive the gospel afresh, as we gather to hear of your grace, as we gather to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, is doing in us, and will do for us on the last day. Father, help us to gather, to hear, to rehearse, to receive, and help us to go out from here and to be people who show your love to the world in the way that we live and work and play, in the way that we serve and speak of Jesus to those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.